Good morning, church. Please stand up for the scripture reading. Today's scripture reading will be taken from Genesis 14, verses 17 to 24. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shadrach and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and, the, and take the goods to thyself. And, and Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will, make, I will not take from that thread, even to, to a shoe latchet, and to that I will not take anything that is thine lest thou shouldst say, I have made Abraham rich. Save only that I which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and memory. Let them take their portion. Thank you. Amen. Please today and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 14. And we will be today with the meeting of Abraham meeting Melchizedek, we've been doing some brief studies in the life of Abraham. We're entitling this series, Surrendering to the Unknown. Last week, he surely did surrender to the unknown, an unknown outcome of a battle when he went, 318 members of his household went to go fight with these mighty kings of the east, four different kings and their armies that had ravaged throughout that whole region of the world. And Abraham went out with his own house and three brothers who joined him, and they defeated them. But he didn't know about that victory. He surrendered to the unknown and trusted his life to God. As we begin today, I'd like for us just to read one verse, and then we'll pray. Genesis chapter 14, can you please join me and read together verse number 20. Genesis chapter 14, verse 20. Read it aloud with me, please. It says, And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Let's pray. So now, Lord God... Even as we think about giving, when things are tight and it's difficult for us to give, that's a surrender to the unknown. How are you going to provide for us if we give? Abraham did. He surrendered the riches of the world and trusted you for the outcome. Help us to look today at Abraham's response to the great victory you gave him against those mighty kings And help us to learn how to respond to success in our own lives. Not to be puffed up with pride, but to trust You with humility and a humble heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the message today, a simple message. How do we respond to victory? A believer's response to victory. Now we might think, well, I I have more failures in my life. I want to know how to respond after I fail. But do you know... 
How we respond to failure is important. And I would suggest how we respond to victory and failure, there's similarities here. But this passage teaches us Abraham's response to his victory in his military campaign. So how we respond to failure is important, but so is how we respond to success. Because great victories are oftentimes of spiritual peril. When we experience success in life, no sooner can we think that it's all our own doing, and hey, what do we need God for? And we become proud, we forget God, we're puffed up, and we seek the praise of the world because, wow, we're so great. Do you see the victory that I won? And Abraham is faced with this dangerous decision of what to do with his victory and how to respond to it with those around him. But his response is godly. It doesn't go to his head. His victory doesn't puff him up with pride. Look at it this way. Abraham has just defeated the mightiest kings of that entire region of the world. So who's stronger than Abraham in the land of Canaan right now? He might think, I'm the king of the hill now. But you know who he meets? Ah, we'll see in a moment. Andrew Barnard a great Christian author of another generation said it well. He said, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. So may God help us today as we look at a believer's response to victory. And how do we deal with success in life? So, to keep, so that we do not allow pride to overcome So that we keep God as our number one priority. That we don't forget Him. And think we don't need Him because we do. So Abraham shows us how to respond when God has given you great victory. First of all, we have to remember the grace. I say remember the grace of the Most High God. Now this is a miraculous passage of Scripture. When I read the Bible... And I come across stuff like this, I say, wow, I'm reading a miracle. The miracle of inspiration. The miracle of God's preservation. We're reading such an ancient text. We're reading about Abraham who lived around 2000 B.C. And it was written by Moses about 1500 B.C. So it was written 500 years after it happened. But yet what is written is exactly true. And now we're living 2,000 years beyond that. We're, we're reading about something that happened 4,000 years ago, folks. And I want you to see, as Abraham comes back from this battle, someone bursts out of nowhere that we never could have expected. If we're just reading the Bible, we never are going to expect we're going to meet this man, and his name is who? Melchizedek. We don't expect to meet him, but here he is in this verse. And look at him. Verse 18, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now, Salem is a shortened version of what? Jerusalem. He's the king of Jerusalem in the days of Abraham. And what's in his hand? He brings forth what? Bread and wine. That's not a coincidence. That's incredible. 
And it says then, and by the way, this chapter tells about nine other kings before Melchizedek. And all of them were warmongering, ungodly kings. The tenth king mentioned in this chapter is Melchizedek, the only righteous king of the other nine kings mentioned that were fighting against each other. Melchizedek didn't get involved in that battle, actually. So here's Melchizedek. He's introduced as a king. But then what does it say? As he has bread and wine in his hand, it says in verse 18, he was the what? The priest of the Most High God. Now don't think that's a minor statement. This is the first priest in the Bible mentioned. Think about this. This this blows my mind. The first priest mentioned in the Bible. And what is he carrying? Bread and wine. (laughs) I hope you see the ultimate high priest there. Jesus Christ. So I say, remember the grace of the Most High. And I believe that's what, when Abraham sees Melchizedek, he is going to have a celebration meal with Melchizedek. And he is going to, in that, remember the grace of the Most High God. Now, also introduced to us in this passage of Scripture is the name for God, the Most High God. You see his name in verse 18? He was the priest of the Most High God. And the God of Melchizedek is the God of Abraham. They worship the same one true and living God, the Most High God, in this passage of Scripture. And this name for God is Reference for us four times in this passage of Scripture. In verse 20, the Most High God. And also in verse 22, look what Abram even says. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, Jehovah. And Jehovah is who? The Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. So the God of Abraham was the God of Melchizedek, the Most High God. The name Most High God is El Elyon. How many of you heard that name before? You've heard that, El Elyon. El is a shortened version of the name of God, Elohim, which speaks of the strength of God. So El means God is the strong one. The first name for God in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created Elohim. So El is a shortened version of Elohim, the creator God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And then he says, he's El Elyon, the Most High. The Most High God speaks of the exalted one, the one who is elevated above everything and everyone in this world and in this life, over all angels, over all principalities, over all powers. He is El Elyon, the strong one, the strongest one, and exalted far above all. Our God is El Elyon. And Melchizedek is his priest. What a remarkable name Melchizedek has. His name means righteous or righteousness. So it says he's the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Melchizedek means righteous or righteousness. 
And then Salem, of course, means peace. So he's the king of righteousness. And he's the king of peace. And the writer of Hebrews also tells us about Melchizedek. Righteousness and peace still exist in the land of war. Think of this now. Remember, there were giants all around Israel at this point. There were pagan kings scattered throughout the Canaan land. All those different ites. The Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites were in the land. But there, in the high point of Israel, in that city of peace, was a king whose name means righteousness. And he worshipped the Most High God. So even in dark days, filled with war, there is still a place to go to worship God and to stand for God. So never think there's nowhere to go to serve Jesus. Amen? God is always faithful. So Melchizedek comes forth, as I said, very suddenly out of nowhere in the biblical text. And we never see him again in the book of Genesis. This is the only time we see him. He's referenced in only one other passage in the Old Testament. And that's Psalm 110. Maybe we'll get there. I'm not sure. And he's, of course, spoken of in the book of Hebrews, chapters 5, 6, and 7. So he's spoken of more in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. So it's really quite a a, a fabulous Bible character, Melchizedek. Now he comes forth not to war, but to worship. And he appears with bread and wine, as I've mentioned, in his hand. Now of course, I don't know if Melchizedek understood the fullness of the meaning of bread and wine in his hand. The bread, of course, represents for us what? The broken body of Jesus Christ. And the wine represents what? His shed blood. And Abram has been promised out of him would come forth a seed that would crush the serpent's head and deliver the earth from the curse of sin. And ultimately, the seed who would do that would be who? Jesus Christ. And how would He do it? By His broken body and by His shed blood. So here's Melchizedek. He comes with bread and wine to celebrate Abraham's victory. Hallelujah! For this celebration of victory. It says, in the valley. When you're down even in the valley, you can celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ. Melchizedek brought forth the bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And of course, they may not have understood its ultimate meaning, but we understand it. And now as we look back on it, we should be amazed at the Word of God. That the first priest referenced in the Bible, his name is Melchizedek, comes with bread and wine. And then we read in the New Testament, or actually, let's go to to Psalm 110. We really need to go to it because only God could do this. Only God could do this. And it shows us that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. It's true. In Psalm 110, and this psalm is... People say it's quoted more times in the New Testament than any other psalm. Jesus referenced it in His teaching. But it says that the Messiah would be a priest. That in the Messianic kingdom... Now I want you to think about this. In the Messianic kingdom... 
of Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to be a priest. But He's not of the priestly tribe, the tribe of Aaron, or the family of Aaron of the tribe of Levi. So Jesus is not a priest after the order of Aaron or of the Levitic tribe. It says in this passage that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will be a priest. In verse 4, it says, The Lord hath sworn, and He will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Wow! So the first priest we meet in the Bible is truly God's ideal priest. Melchizedek. This order of priesthood will reign forever. Not the Levitic priesthood. Not of the family of Aaron. Of the order, not the family of Melchizedek. The order, the likeness of Melchizedek. The likeness being he was what? He was a king. And he was a priest. Who's Jesus? He's a king. And he's a priest. And our Savior... Now, I want you to think about this. I don't know if I'm going too far into this, but I thought about how Abraham defeated kings. Who did he defeat? How many kings? Four kings. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be a great battle called Armageddon. You know how many kings are going to face off against Jesus Christ? Four great kingdoms from the north, from the east, from the south, and the kingdom of the Antichrist. Four great kingdoms are going to come against Jesus Christ. And with a sword out of His mouth, He will slay them all. And He's going to come forth in celebration with bread and wine. Because the victory is won through Jesus Christ and the power of the cross. The power of His death for us on the cross. So... When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember the grace of the Most High. What do you do when when you have a great victory? Do you say, oh wow, I had a great victory. I am so great. I don't need God anymore. No, you know what you need to do? you got to humble yourself and realize you're nothing before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Abraham could have thought he's the most powerful man in in even Canaan, but guess what? There was a more powerful king and a greater priest in that land, and his name was Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek blessed Abraham, the less is blessed by the greater. Abraham was less powerful than Melchizedek. And so, even though Abraham had that great victory, he's humbled in the presence of Melchizedek, who comes forth with bread and wine, and with generosity and gratitude. I believe they celebrate a meal together, a covenant meal, and a type of the great sacrifice of our ultimate high priest of after the order of Melchizedek. And so, Abraham, like us, reminds us that when we experience success... We must humble ourselves and worship before the, the God of heaven and earth, the, the great God, El Elyon. The second thing is we must rejoice in our relationship with the Most High. Not only remember His grace, but rejoice in His, and I say relationship. To me, that's the key word here. Go back to our passage, and I see relationship. I see that Abraham has a relationship with God. He's called the friend of God. We know that Abraham had a very close friendship with God. And it says here in Genesis chapter 14, look at verse 19, and he blessed him. (coughs) Now, 
reading this, we might say, well, who's blessing who? Well, it's clear from the book of Hebrews, if you read that, it's Melchizedek blessed Abram. And it also says in Hebrews, the less, which is Abraham, is blessed by the greater, Melchizedek. So Melchizedek blessed Abram. And he said, blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. You see, Abram was of the Most High God. That is, he was connected to, in fellowship and relationship to, the Most High God. And so Melchizedek reminds Abraham of his relationship that Abraham is possessed by the one who possesses heaven and earth. Abraham had an intimate relationship with the Lord. So Melchizedek blesses him. This is the only priestly blessing in Genesis. But Melchizedek lays the foundation for priests blessing those they minister to. The great ironic blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. We all need blessing, don't we? You need blessing. Now it says here that God, as the Most High God, is the possessor of heaven and earth. That's a very interesting word. The word possessor has a number of different meanings here. It, it means creator, for one. It means out of God came the heaven and the earth. He's the creator of all things. But possessor also means he's the one who has purchased it. He is the one who has bought it. And so it's similar to this word we use in the New Testament often. It's in the Old Testament actually. But the word redeem, to redeem, to buy something back, to make it your own. So God, you could say, is the possessor. And yes, He is the redeemer of heaven and earth. And again there, I was struck by with, with how did God, how did Jesus Christ purchase the heaven and the earth, and you for that matter, and me? How did He purchase us? With what? The blood. And what is in Melchizedek's hand? The bread and the wine. In type, the elements through which God has bought the world back to himself from that wicked Satan, usurper. And by the way, don't let Satan into your life. Put down his lies. Put down his lust. Put down his hate. Don't let Satan into your life. Rebuke that wicked one in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't let Satan lie to you and drag you to hell, dear friend. Our God is the creator, the possessor. He has, and He possesses by purchase. He is the originator and the redeemer of all. And that's what that speaks of. So Abraham shows us, never let earthly victory cause you to lose your focus on your what? You haven't successfully, hey, you made the A in, in school? Oh, I, I made an A, I didn't even pray. I mean, I just made an A, I didn't even have to pray about it. Oh, I guess I don't need God. No, you need God. Don't believe the devil's lies that you could do it without the Lord, amen? When we experience success, we must keep our focus on our relationship with Jesus Christ. The Most High God. And the Lord, through Melchizedek, blesses Abraham. God has already blessed Abraham back in chapter 12. 
He says, I will bless thee. God says, I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. So guess what? Melchizedek is blessing Abraham. And what is God going to do to Melchizedek for blessing Abraham? He's going to bless him. God says, I'll bless those that bless you. Melchizedek is blessing Abraham. He's fulfilling that initial promise. Abraham is blessed of the Lord. Melchizedek sees God in Abraham's life. Blessed, he says, blessed be Abram of the Most High God. Now this statement, I said it when I was preaching in Genesis 12, but I believe it's a very important statement whenever you see this idea of us being blessed by the Lord and Abram being blessed what Leupold says, he's a, he wrote a commentary in Genesis. He says, in the idea of the Messiah, does the depth of this word blessed fully display itself? In the idea of the Messiah, in other words, at the heart of the blessing, in a sense, is the Messiah. Or even, you could say, the salvation that he is going to bring and the salvation that he gives. So that Abram is blessed means he has what? Let's make it real simple. That Abram is blessed by the Lord means he has what? Salvation. Are you blessed of the Lord? Say amen. Do you have salvation? Are you born again? You're blessed of the Lord. He's forgiven you of your sins. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are you who have trusted in Jesus Christ. He has blessed you with salvation, with forgiveness. He will bless you with fruitfulness. He will bless you with strength. Take all the blessings of God through, that come to us through Jesus Christ. Because it says in the book of, you know it, Philippians, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. He'll bless you with strength. He will bless you with courage. We don't have it without Jesus, but with Jesus we have all things in Christ. So Abram is blessed and his life is literally going to set in motion events that will bring the Messiah into the world. Think of that. In Abraham's loins is the seed of Jesus Christ. And he's blessed. And he's living in such a way that, yes, the Messiah will come forth through him. And he has come forth through him. Rejoice in your relationship. Number three, I say delight in your deliverance by the Most High. Look what Melchizedek says in verse 20. He says, and blessed be the Most High God. So Abram, you're blessed, but give praise to God. Don't think that you and your 318 uh, servants that you armed and trained. Abraham said, I trained those guys, man. I really trained those guys how to fight. I, I, I made those weapons. I made every one of those weapons. I armed them. I trained them. I'm great. I made friends with these three brothers. Do you see the three brothers mentioned at the end of chapter 14, verse 24? Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. They joined me. And it was because of my relationship with those guys that they came and we fought. Well, I, I, I was, my strategy was awesome. I, I, I fought at night. I divided my army in two. I'm a skillful and courageous soldier. Boy, I did a great job. Who gave Abraham the victory? It wasn't his skill. It wasn't his leadership. It wasn't his strategy. It wasn't ultimately his courage. God gave all that to Abraham... Melchizedek gives the glory for the deliverance to God. Blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. 
So we need to delight in our deliverance by the Most High. Our enemies are those who cause us trouble and distress. Do you have any enemies? I'm not talking about people, but it could be circumstances. Things that cause you trouble and distress. Do you have enemies? you have things causing you trouble? Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's something going on in your job right now. Do you have enemies? Are things causing you trouble and distress? I have good news for you. I know a deliverer from your enemies, from your troubles, from your distress. He is the Most High God. He is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And dear friends, through Jesus Christ we are delivered from sin, Satan, eternal death and hell. And He will give us victory as well through all the enemies we face in this life. It's not by our might, it's not by our power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not through human strategies or human courage, but by the Spirit of God. Do you need to be delivered? God delivered Abraham and put his enemies into his clutches. Melchizedek gives God the glory alone. It says, again, he says, Blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. Nothing about Abraham. All about who? The Lord. He gets the glory. Give Him the glory. So do you have enemies? Look at these verses. Go to Psalm, 8, 118, uh, Psalm 18. We sang, that's why we sang this song today. I will call upon the Lord. It's all about calling upon Lord for, uh, the Lord for deliverance. Go to Psalm 118, and these verses are there, but it's good to read it in your own Bible and underline them. And then delight in these promises. Because some of you might feel overwhelmed. Some of you might feel, you know what? I don't have the strength to overcome this. And you're right, you don't have the strength. You don't have the strength to deal with the sins that tempt you and the confusion that overwhelms you. You don't have the strength to overcome that depression. You don't have the strength to deal with the lusts that are bombarding you. And there's many lusts that are destroying people today as men go with men and women go with women. By the way, did you see that Sports Illustrated, their swimsuit issue is going to have a transgendered man dressed as a woman. Beloved, we're living in truly perilous, perilous times when men are lovers of their own selves. But the fact is, the devil is lying to people and he's lying to some of you right here. But there's victory. There's deliverance for men to be men and women to be women. And for us to love one another, for husbands to love their wives and wives to submit to their husbands, for children to obey their parents in the Lord, for singles to be pure and uh, before the Lord and in His sight. Psalm eighteen seventeen. He delivered me from my strong enemy. Strong enemy. And from them which hated me. They were too strong for me. Yeah, they are. He delivered me because He delighted in me. Because I trusted in Him. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people. Psalm 118, 43. Psalm 18, I'm sorry. Psalm 18, verse 48. So at least four different times in this passage, 
Psalm 18, verse 48 says, He delivered me from mine enemies. Yea, Thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Twice in that verse, He says He's delivered. So He delivered Israel from Pharaoh's sword. He delivered Moses from Pharaoh. He delivered Shadrach and his friends from the fire. He delivered Daniel from the lion's mouth. He delivered Daniel from from Goliath's grip. And He can deliver you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible, underline those verses, and say, He delivered. And underline, He delivered me. And then circle, me. He delivered, underline, underline, He delivered. And then circle, me. Because this is for you. That's where we got to read the Bible and claim it. Amen? Claim it. He delivered me. You believe He could do that? Say it. He delivered me. Yes, He'll deliver you. Not just David, you. What are you going through? Through God, we shall do valiantly. He it is that shall tread down our enemies. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Walt Parker's favorite verse. Whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Fourth thing. It's my favorite part now. Now I'm going to start really preaching. I'm just kidding. Okay. Here's the fourth point, church. You say it. What's the point? I didn't hear that. Come on. Say it like you mean it now. I want to hear this. Let's go, let's go. Say it. Pay your tithe to the Most High God. Hallelujah! You know, I got paid last week. You know what I got to do this week? Write a check. I love to write a check to Heritage Baptist Church. I do. Because God has blessed me in my life for tithing. Now, let me just say a couple things here about tithing. From the Bible. We again are reading a passage of Scripture 2,000 years B.C. Before the law of Moses, and Abraham, out of nowhere, is given what? To Melchizedek. A tithe. Because Melchizedek had some kind of sanctuary, and it needed the support of God's people. Just the way a church today needs the financial support of God's people. That's the way it's always been. Earthly sanctuaries or churches or temples, Old Testament, whatever, have always required people to give for their maintenance, for their upkeep, for their growth, for their blessing. And so here in this most ancient of books, it says, and he paid him tithes of all. Now, Abraham has the spoils of the victory. He's talking about the spoils that he's bringing with him from the battle that he captured from the fleeing kings. Here is the first mention of tithing in the Bible. And again, it comes sort of out of nowhere. We might say, how did Abraham know how to tithe? What led him to tithe? Maybe there's something in our heart that when we get saved, we know God just deserves. You know, actually, I can't say this happens to everybody, but and I, I told the story, so I won't tell, tell it at all. But when I first was saved, I was making, man, I was making, I was rolling in the, in the box, man. I was making $100 a week. Just rolling it in. I was rich. And I just, 
no one said, now Matt, you got a tithe. Guess how much out of the $100 I gave to the Lord? $10. That doesn't sound like very much, actually, does it? I got to keep 90 And I gave 10 to the Lord. But that's a what? That's a tithe. Now, tithe means one-tenth. You don't tithe a fifth. Or you don't tithe one one-hundredth. If I, if I put one dollar in the offering, I wasn't tithing. I was giving a dollar. I was being cheap. <laughs> I was actually robbing God of the tithe at that point. But it's amazing. Tithing was an Old Testament or an old and widespread custom even in the ancient times before the Mosaic Law. I believe that tithing is a statement of our faith. You said it before, brother, and here it is. I didn't write this down after our conversation. But yes, when you tithe, you're saying that God owns it all. And I'm going to give Him what's His. Now, you say, well, tithing? Are you kidding me? That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is a lot of money. It is. It's a lot of money. I could do a lot of things with that money. But I say give it to God. The tithe was the Lord's well before the Mosaic Law, and I'll make a point about that in a moment. Tithing is a sacrifice, and it's an evidence of dependence upon God to meet my needs. Now, I know what most people instantly think about tithing. When I say tithing, there's what probably a lot of you are thinking. There's no New Testament command to tithe. There's nothing in the New Testament that commands the church to tithe to Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's exactly true. That's why we we do not have any rule or law in our church that members must tithe. How much do members have to give? If you're going to join our church, you just join the church. How much do you have to give to our church? I mean, what is required of you? Bottom line, mandatory. If you're a member of our church, you have to give what? Whatever God puts in your heart to give. Nothing more. Nothing less. We don't have any rules for giving. We don't have a rule. If you're going to join our church, you have to tithe. No, we don't actually have that rule. There's, it's not a rule in the New Testament. So why are you saying the tithe? Okay, here's the beautiful thing. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Was Abraham commanded to tithe to Melchizedek? Where's the command? Where, where did God command Abraham to tithe to Melchizedek? There is no command. But he does. And let me ask you this question. If Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek and there was no law or command that he do so, shouldn't we tithe to Jesus Christ? Here's the very point. There was no command by, for Abraham to tithe to Melchizedek. And there is no command for you to tithe to Jesus Christ because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And you give to Melchizedek and his ministry, you give by grace. You give because you've been delivered. You give because you love the Most High God. And you'll say, I'll give that tenth to the Lord because he owns it all. That's the point. There's no command to tithe to the, to the order of Melchizedek. I never saw it that way before, but that's pretty powerful in my heart. And think of this. If Old Testament believers under the law tithed, shouldn't we at least tithe? I say it's a good place to start. Now, again, it's a lot of money. And, but here's, what, here's another thing people say. But I can't tithe. 
I don't make enough money to tithe. Now, you might be right, because I don't know how much you make. You might be right, but here's what I'll challenge you to do. If you're telling me you can't tithe, let me ask you this question. Have you ever tried? If you never did it for three months and trusted God and see what He does, don't tell me you can't. Don't tell me you can't if you haven't at least tried. Amen? That's fair, right? Because I tell you what, I tried and I liked it. I liked it. Because I started giving that $10 to the Lord and I had $90 left over and I wasn't buying drugs, rock and roll music, alcohol, beer, cigarettes. I had all this money left over. I saved it up and I bought a diamond ring and got married. Hallelujah. <laughs> let, me, let me say it this way. I always, I always ask this question. What if everybody did? What if everybody did? What if everybody gets saved through Jesus Christ and tithes? Are we living in a better world or a worse world? And tithes to a local church that is evangelizing, that is getting the gospel out. Think of that. What if everybody got saved and starts tithing to their local church so they could support missionaries, so that they could have all kinds of vibrant ministry locally and worldwide? Would the world be a better place or a worse place for that? Far better. So why don't we do it? <laughs> don't wait for everybody to do it. You do it. You start. I'll tell you this. If everybody did that, our taxes would be a lot lower. And I believe because a whole lot of Christians have robbed God. This is just my personal feeling now. I'm preaching a little recology here, you know. But I'll say it anyway. I believe our taxes are so high and you're paying so much to Uncle Sam and so much to Social Security because so many Christians have robbed God in the United States of America and now the government has to take it from us to do what the church should be doing anyway. It's a shame. Hebrews 7 says, Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. Hebrews 7, verse 4. How great must have Melchizedek to have been for Abraham to give a tenth of his spoils, right? But I say to you, who's greater, Jesus or Melchizedek? Jesus. By the way, some people believe that uh, Melchizedek is, a, is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament like a theophany. Obviously, I don't. I don't believe that. But you're, you're welcome to believe that if you like. But I'm preaching here today that Melchizedek is a type of Jesus Christ. I hope you understand that. So anyway, I wanted to say those few things about tithing and leave you with this before I get to the last point. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 says, Wherein have we robbed God? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And God says to Old Testament Israel in tithes and offerings, You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. The fourth thing I want to say, oh, I had the verse there, I forgot, is we have to turn down the worldly deals. That's the last thing in our message today. Go back to Genesis, please, in chapter number 14. And we see a number of things here. I haven't mentioned much about the king of Sodom. So let's just focus on him for just a moment. Because... Abraham meets Melchizedek, but guess who's there the whole time? 
this king of Sodom. He came out of the slime pit, you know. Remember, remember the bitumen pits? He cleaned all that asphalt, that tar, you know, the tar off him, put on his fresh robes. And now, now the king of Sodom comes and appears. And he wants to make a deal with Abraham. He wants to make a deal that will suit him and him alone. He's a selfish and wicked king over a wicked people. Sodom and Gomorrah was wicked in the eyes of the Lord even before he destroyed it with fire. But look, look what happens. I want you to look at verse 21, the first thing, and what are the first two words out of the king of Sodom's lips? What are the first two things he says? What? what? Give me! Give it to me! I deserve it. Give me. And what does he want? What does he want? He wants the souls. He wants the people. He wants to corrupt them. And he tells Abraham, here's the deal. Abraham has two things. Abraham has the souls that have been kidnapped. And he has the spoils. He has the stuff. He has the souls and he has what? The stuff. The king of Sodom says, Abraham, you give me the souls and you keep the stuff. That's the deal. Give it to me. Hmm. What do you think of that? So let me say three things about this king of Sodom. I say, number one, he's an ungodly king. And we see his ungodliness right in verse 17 when we first meet him. Because actually, in this passage, when Abraham comes back from the slaughter of the kings, incredibly, we meet the king of Sodom first. He's in verse 17. I haven't even talked about him. But notice, what does the king of Sodom say when he meets Abraham? Now, think about this. Abraham just went and delivered the people of Sodom for the king. What, what do you think his feeling should be toward Abraham? Right? So what does he say to Abraham? What's the first thing he says to Abraham in verse 17? What does he say? Look, look at the verse. Genesis 14, 17. What does he say? What does the king of Sodom say? What does he say? Nothing! He's tight-lipped. He's empty-hearted. When he finally does say something, the first two words out of his mouth are what? Give me. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, thank you. There's no gratitude in his heart. I call it an ungrateful silence. Now, remember we talked much about what was in the king of Melchizedek's hands. What is in the king of Sodom's hands? Yeah, he, surely he's going to come out with a gift of thanks for Abraham. A gift of some kind. What is in the king of Sodom's hands to give Abraham? What's in his hands? Nothing. He's empty-handed and empty-hearted. He's a selfish, wicked man. Give me. This is the world. This is the world. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. This is the world empty-hearted toward you. They don't care. The world doesn't care about you. They want to say, give me! Like a horse leech. 
There's an ungodly king. Berah, his name, means son of evil. Sodom means burning. Isn't that significant? The son of evil living in the city of burning. (laughs) It's going to burn because of its sin. An ungrateful silence, verse 17, nothing in his hand, nothing in his heart. And an unequal trade, give me the souls and you keep the stuff. And that's the deal of the devil right there. The devil wants to drag people, including Lot, back into Sodom and corrupt them. Sodom, the king says, give me the souls. Let them come back to Sodom. Now, why would Lot want to go back there? Why would Lot want to go back there? I don't know, but he does. The evil kings of this world have a strange grip upon the souls of men. But the kings of this world say, give me the souls. Let me drag them back into the tar pits of sin. You keep the stuff because the devil doesn't care about your stuff. You keep your stuff. Give me your soul. That's what the devil wants. He wants your soul. And he wants to drag you back into the pit of Sodom with him. And to hell eventually. Many men trade their stuff for their soul. That's why Jesus said, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world but lose his soul? A lot of people willing to make that trade. Don't make that trade. Don't make that trade. Abraham doesn't deal. Abraham says, I'm not making this trade. I'm out of this stock venture. (laughs) And look what he says to the king of Sodom. He says, I lifted up my hand to the Lord. That means I'm going to rely and trust in God. Now, I know some, sometimes we Baptists, we, we think that's Pentecostal to do that, but I think it's Bible to do it myself. Put up your hand to the Lord. It says Abraham lifted up his hand to the Lord. Said, I'm yours, Lord. If, you want to, if you're not comfortable doing it, don't do it. But if you're comfortable doing it, just put your hand up to the Lord and say, I'm yours, Lord. I've lifted up my hand to you. You're my most high God. And Jesus Christ is my great high priest. And you possess the heaven and earth. And you possess me. And I'm not going to take even a shoe latchet. I'm not going to take the thread off my shoe from the world. I'm not going to let the world say you've made me rich. I'm going to trust you, Lord. Amen? You can put your hands down. Thank you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So I say, face the unknown risk. Trust and give. Follow Jesus. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank you for your kind attention today. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Let's just bow our heads today, close our eyes. Do you need that victory today and deliverance? Maybe you've experienced some success or maybe you've experienced failure. I say to you, remember the grace of Jesus Christ. Remember His broken body for you. Remember His shed blood for you. The Most High God died on the cross for your sins. You are loved. And rejoice in your relationship with Him. Seek the Lord with your heart. Build up your walk with Jesus. Get into His Word. Pray. Talk to Him as a friend. Because He is a friend. He'll stick closer than a brother. And delight in your deliverance. Claim your deliverance. 
in Jesus Christ, we're not failures. We're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And I say, now trust God now. Trust God. But pay your tithe. See how that works. And turn down all the deals of this world that this world has to offer you that would strip away your faith in Jesus. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And who would say, Pastor Matt, I want to live in this victory that Abraham lived in. Can I see your hand? Just put it up to the Lord. Say, yes, by the grace of God, before God I'm standing, I want to live in that victory of Abraham. Hallelujah. Say, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You put your hands down. Is there anyone who say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved. I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior today. Because if I die today, I, I fear I'd even go to hell. Without Jesus Christ, dear friend, you will go to hell. But through Jesus Christ, you can have heaven and you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven when you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus who died on the cross so you don't have to die. And He rose again so you could live. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I need salvation today in Jesus Christ. Put your hand up, please. Is there anyone like that? Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Could you just look up at me if your hand is up? Would you like somebody to talk to you right now? Would you like to come and talk to someone? Talk about Jesus? Do you need Jesus as your Savior? You're not sure? Okay, okay. That's a... Yes? Come on. Micah? Talk to Micah. I'm not sure, but yeah, go, go back here and just talk to Micah. Thank you. Father, please work now. And glorify Your name. O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.